0: Right now, um, Sunday school. Just a few children here this morning. uh, But those who are here, if you you wish to go out to Sunday school, now's now's your chance to do so. And if the rest of us please could turn back to that passage in Matthew um, that we read. Uh, We won't read it again because we have read it already. Uh, But uh, Matthew chapter 25 and verses... 1 two, thirteen, 13. And uh, I will just uh, ask for God's help as we come to consider this passage now. Oh Lord, now we do pray, please help me to um, uh, to preach, teach your word well. Bless the children as well, speak to the children. And Lord, we pray that... Uh, your word will speak to us all. Any who do not yet know Christ will be led to Christ. And those of us who do know him, we pray that you will cause us to to serve him better. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, this passage, Matthew chapter 25, and verses 1 to 13, as I'm sure many of you will know, this is written in, or this is spoken in. In, uh, what, in the style of what is called a parable. Jesus told lots of these parables. And a parable is a story <coughs> where you could imagine it happening. It's just like an everyday sort of story that could actually have happened in everyday life. But it's a story which has got a spiritual meaning to it. And very often with the different parables, as you go through the story, you can say, ah, that person corresponds, that character in the story, That he corresponds to this person or this thing, and that character, that corresponds to that, and this event, that corresponds to this, and so on. Now, with parables, you've got to be careful, because you can't always press every detail, and... Um, you know, you can't always find a correspondence for every single thing. Sometimes people get a bit ensnared when they try to try to, you know, find correspondence for absolutely every detail in the story. But usually, what you find is that the the different um, characters you can fairly quickly, if you, with the help of the Holy Spirit, you can see uh, what uh, is what the characters represent and what the story is talking about. Let me just, just uh, re- remind you of what the story is. Then I want to, if you like, give you the headline of the story or the, the main message. And then I want us to go through in, in a bit of detail and just try and draw out lessons from the different characters uh, that we come across. So here's a story that Jesus told about Ten virgins, whose job it was, it would seem, we don't know, it doesn't spell this out, but it seems that they were to have an official role at a wedding. Uh, we, we in, in our British culture, we think of bridesmaids, uh, and they would attend to the bride. But these were these were virgins who would attend to... The groom, or would help the groom in some way at the wedding. It perhaps, since they were bearing lights, perhaps the idea is, of course, in those days they didn't have electric lighting. So uh, if you wanted to have a, a meal after dinner, you'd need somebody who'd, who'd carry some lamps. And maybe that was their, because it says they had lamps, so maybe that was their job, to provide lighting for the, 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 the wedding banquet that was going to happen. Now, five of these virgins... Um, uh, were it says were wise, and five of them were foolish. The wise ones uh, carried with them a supply of oil, whereas the foolish ones, presumably, they had a bit of tiny bit of oil in their lamps, but that was all they had. And so, uh, if if the, if the bridegroom was delayed in coming, then they wouldn't have had any oil. But the wise ones thought, ah, oh, yeah, he might be out of time coming. So they, they had a bit of extra oil in their, in their lamp in, in, that they carried with them. Well, then the bridegroom was delayed in arriving, so they, they all fell asleep. But then after midnight, there was a shout at the bridegroom's coming. So they, they, they woke up, but at this time, the foolish virgins realized that they were in trouble. The whole point they were there was in order to shine their lamps at the wedding but the lamps were going out. They hadn't bought any oil with them. So they asked the, the wise virgins, could you spare some of your oil for us? And the wise virgins said, no, we can't, because if we give you our oil, we won't have any for ourselves. You'll have to get your own oil. So the foolish virgins went off into town to try and get some, some oil for themselves. But while they were out, while they were going, the... Um, the uh, Um, the the, the bridegroom arrived and uh, so um, the bridegroom came and and the wise virgins went into the wedding banquet the door was shut but then a little while later the foolish ones turned up and they hammered at the door, let us in but the bridegroom said I tell you the truth, I don't know you. And Jesus closed the parable with a warning. He said, therefore keep watch because you do not know the day or the hour. So let me, what's, the, what's the big lesson? What's the headline of this story? The headline of this story is you must be ready for when Jesus comes back. Jesus is going to come back and you need to be ready for him you don't know when he's going to come back he could come back at any time and if you're not right with him when he comes you'll be too late you'll be shut out and you'll never be able to be saved you'll never be able to enter the uh, the, 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 the wedding banquet that's going to happen when he comes so it's really, really important to make sure that you really are a true Christian. And if you get nothing else from this morning, I hope you'll, you'll get that. That you must make sure that you are saved. You must make sure that you genuinely have the Holy Spirit. That you truly do belong to Christ. Because if you don't, then you will be lost forever. Well, uh, that's the main headline. But let me now just come to um, uh, come to well, just before we come to the details, let me just also just remind you of the context. Uh, we did read it earlier on, but we saw uh, th- some of you were here when we were we, we, we were seeing this that chapter twenty four. Jesus is dealing with a question. About, first of all, the destruction of Jerusalem, which he deals with, I suggest, in verses 1 to 35 of chapter 24 of, of Matthew's Gospel. And then he's dealing with the, his second coming. And what he's saying is, about the second coming, nobody knows when he's going to be coming. Verse 36 of 24. Concerning that day, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. And then he tells various different stories which are saying, you don't know when I'm going to come. Watch out that you do not get caught out. So he tells talks about how in the days of Noah, people were eating and drinking, living normal life, and then suddenly the flood came and swept many of them away. And then... He talks about how two will be working in a field and one will be taking the other left. Two, will be, two women grinding the mill, one will be taking the other left. So verse 42, therefore stay awake for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. He talks about how a thief um, comes. With, if, if, if you knew when the thief was coming you'd, you would um, you'd stay awake. But thieves always cut, catch you out. And so he says that's how it's going to be with Jesus coming again. He'll be like a thief in the night. You don't know when to come. He's coming. Verse 44. Therefore you must be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an hour when you do not expect him. And then he tells a parable about about a a good servant who who does his job properly. And when his master comes he finds he's been doing his job properly and, and he'll be given a reward. But the wicked servant who says his master is delayed... And starts to mistreat the fellow servants. He says his master will come at a day when he doesn't expect. Verse 50. And at an hour he does not know. And he will cut him to pieces. And put him in the, with the hypocrites. In that place they'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So we see. Here's the background. Jesus is saying. He's coming back. He's coming back at a time when you don't expect. And here's another parable. Which is talking about this issue. He's going to come back. Suddenly, and unexpectedly, and you must make sure that you are ready for him. Well, let's look at the at, uh, at at some of the details now. First of all, then let's let's consider how this is a parable about the kingdom of heaven. Verse one. He says, "The kingdom of heaven will be like." Ten virgins who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Jesus is here talking about the kingdom of heaven. What's that? It's the rule of God in people's lives. Now, to understand about the need for the kingdom of heaven, perhaps it might be helpful for me just to remind you of the position this world is in, or was in before Jesus. Establish the kingdom of heaven. This world was under the rule of Satan. Adam and Eve were enticed into sin. And Adam and Eve having been enticed into sin, men and women from then on in have been under the thumb, as it were, of Satan. They've been deceived by him and they've been living in rebellion against God all these years. And Satan has been dragging people off to hell having enticed people into rebelling against God, they live their lives as sinners and then they land up going to hell. But God has broken into this world and set up an alternative kingdom, an alternative rule, using the Lord Jesus Christ as that king. And that was announced by Jesus as he did all his great miracles and as he preached He preached the kingdom of heaven and people started to believe in him as he was on earth. Then Jesus died on the cross and he was raised from the dead and taken back up to heaven and the Holy Spirit was poured out and now people could start to experience in power the kingdom of God in their lives and people started to be rescued from the kingdom of Satan, be brought in large numbers into the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ. Up to then, just a few people had been saved under the Jewish religion. But now, lots and lots of people started coming to Christ and experiencing the Holy Spirit in their lives. And then what's going to happen is that Jesus, who is the king in heaven, and who's seated at God's right hand, he is going to come again. And when he comes, all his enemies will be destroyed and his kingdom will be established on earth. And all those who belong to him will enjoy his rule and will enjoy the the, 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 the wonderful new world that he's going to bring in. So uh, we're talking then about the kingdom of heaven. Now, next thing we see is we see that Jesus is the bridegroom. Let's read verse 1 again. Then the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps to meet the bridegroom. Who does the bridegroom in this story represent? answer, clearly, Jesus. In many places, in fact, Jesus is spoken of as the bridegroom. And Jesus is spoken of as his bride. Sorry, the church, thank you, correcting me. The church is spoken of as the bride of Christ. So, uh, for example, chapter 22, you've got the parable of the wedding banquet. And uh, (coughs) verses 1 to 14. And again, Jesus that you've got the father who's holding this banquet and that the, the son the bridegroom for which that banquet is held is is Jesus and uh, uh, and and uh, in Ephesians <laughs> chapter 5 we read about how how Jesus uh, how the church is 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 the bride of Christ and Jesus is the bridegroom. Revelation 19, verse 7 says, let us be glad and rejoice and give him the glory for the marriage of the lamb has come and his wife has made herself ready. So Jesus is that bridegroom. Now, just before we go any further, just think about this. If you are a true Christian, you are part of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. The bride of Christ. You've been joined to Christ and one day (coughs) that union will be, as it were, consummated when Jesus comes again. You may or you may not be married in this world. But don't worry if you're not married because you're part of the bride of Christ. And you will know that wonderful union with Christ when he comes. Now let's go on then to the third thing and think about the next thing, think about the virgins. Who are these virgins? Let's read verse 1 again. The kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. So who are these virgins? Well, I would suggest to you that these virgins represent... They're just as remember, we can't press every detail to its ultimate, but I think these virgins represent those who are who profess to be believers in Christ. You see, they are those who are who are officially waiting for the bridegroom to come, and they've got lamps. Presumably, they will have been dressed in 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 wedding clothes so these were these are those who who are known as the people of god but as we will see it turns out that not all of them were the people of god some of them looked like the people of god but weren't and there is a warning to us here that you can look like a Christian. You can say that you can believe in Jesus. You can attend meetings of the church. You can even get baptized and even become a member of the church. And never actually be a true Christian. As as we'll see as this story unfolds. So you've got these 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 people who look, who, who are known, these women who are known as the people of God. Now, next thing. Uh, let's think about what was wrong with the foolish virgins. Um, let's read verses 2 and 3. It says, five of them were foolish and five were wise. For when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them. But the wise took flasks of oil in their lamps. So what was it that differentiated the wise virgins from the foolish ones? Well, the answer is that the wise virgins had with them a supply of oil. But the foolish virgins, they had a little tiny bit of oil in their lamps, but they didn't have a supply. They didn't have a source of oil. Now, what, this raises another question then. What is the oil? What does that represent? Well, I'd suggest to you that the oil represents the Holy Spirit in a person's life. Oil is often used in the Bible to represent the Holy Spirit. For example, in Zechariah, God gives, in the prophet, book of the prophet Zechariah, God gives Zechariah a vision of a lampstand. And uh, this lampstand has a bowl on either side of it. And above that lampstand are two olive trees. And what happens is that the olives are going from the trees into those bowls, and the bowls, and then they're producing oil, which is being fed down pipes into the lamp, which then is kept kept burning continuously. And God says to Zechariah, when he shows him that vision, he says, Not by might nor by power but by my spirit says the Lord of hosts so the oil that's going from those olive trees going down through into the bowls down the pipes into the the lamps which keeps the lamps burning God says to Zechariah represents the Holy Spirit and so in this story I would suggest to you that the The wise virgins are the ones who have a supply of the Holy Spirit in their lives. Whereas the foolish virgins, they may have experienced something of the Holy Spirit in their lives, but they've never been born again. They don't have that supply of the Holy Spirit. They don't have that source of the Holy Spirit. Within them. Now, this ties up with what Jesus said, as recorded in John chapter 7, and verses 37 and 30 to 39, where, he said, where we read this, On the last day of the feast, of the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water, Now this he said about the Spirit whom those who had not believed in him were to receive. For as yet the Holy Spirit had not yet been given because Jesus had not yet been glorified. So Jesus says the person who comes to him, what will happen is a fountain will open up within that person. The fountain of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will be continuously pouring up out of this person. And John tells us that when talking about this this fountain of living water, John says that he's talking about the Holy Spirit. So a Christian, a true believer, has this, this source of the Spirit within him or her. So he or she has a supply of that oil of the Spirit. Whereas the foolish virgins, speak about those who they may have experienced something of the Holy Spirit. At some point, you know, sometimes people can come to church, come to meetings of church, and they feel the love of God, but don't actually properly get converted. Perhaps they read the Bible sometimes and they feel a bit guilty. They experience some degree of conviction of sin, maybe. They taste. Hebrews 6 talk about talks about those who, who taste of the Holy Spirit, who taste of the power, powers of the age to come. They experience something of, 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 of the experience of the Holy Spirit. But they aren't. They do not. They're not born again. They do not have that life of God within them. So this, it seems, is what the Holy when when Jesus talks about these these women, they've got a bit of oil in their lamps, but no supply. So this corresponds to those who've who've experienced something of the Holy Spirit's work in their lives, but they've not been truly born again. They do not have that supply of the spirit. So here is a very important lesson for us. You can look like a Christian outwardly and yet not really have the Holy Spirit. There are many who profess to be Christians. They've been baptized, they attend meetings of the church, but they do not have the Holy Spirit. They've never been born again. And so Jesus' words to Nicodemus are very applicable. Jesus said to Nicodemus, you might remember John chapter 3, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Again he said, truly I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. And again Jesus said, you must be born again. And Paul's words in Romans 8 are also very salutary. Paul said, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. So I must ask you this question. Have you... Being born again. Do you have the Holy Spirit in your life? Or are you just assuming, well I must be okay because I go to church. I must be okay because I read my Bible. I must be alright because I know lots of Christians. This story tells us that if you If you look like a Christian but don't have the Holy Spirit, then you are a fool. You're assuming that you'll get into heaven on the final day when you will not do so. Is there anything you can do about it? The answer, yes. At the moment you can. You can come to Christ. You can ask Christ to save you. You can say to him, please give me the Holy Spirit. Please cause me to be born again. Remember that verse I've just read. If anyone is thirsty, let it, Jesus said, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, out of, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Come to Jesus. Believe in Jesus. Seek him for his spirit. That you might not be a foolish virgin, but you might be a wise one. Well now let's move on then to see the next thing. Next thing to see is that... Uh, G, that uh, the bridegroom was delayed in coming. Verse 5. As the bridegroom was delayed, Jesus, the bridegroom, is delayed, he says. You're going to be delayed. Now, this tells us something very important. It tells us that Jesus taught us that he wasn't going to come back immediately. You see, there are some people who who make out that Jesus somehow erroneously taught that he was going to come back within the lifetime of his hearers. And the verse they often point to is actually verse 34 in the previous chapter, where he said, truly, truly, I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. And they say, ah, Jesus was saying that he wasn't going to come, that, that he was going to come back within the lifetime of people, the people that were there. But in fact, as I, as I, as I um, suggested to you, that in fact, the whole of that section up to verse 35 is talking about the destruction of Jerusalem. Jesus saying, this generation will not take, pass away till all these events to do with the destruction of Jerusalem have taken place. But in terms of his second coming, what he's saying is he is going to be delayed. He says that here in this passage, in this parable of the virgins. It also he also teaches it uh, in chapter chapter um, chapter forty eight chapter twenty four, verse forty eight, the parable of the wicked servant. He says the wicked servant says, My servant is delayed my master sorry, my master is delayed. Teaches it also in the parable of the talents. The the, the person, chapter twenty five verse um, twenty nine, the master who gave the talents uh, went away, and uh, and 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 uh, he came back after a long time. No, verse nineteen. Excuse me. After a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts. So we should not be surprised if. It's been nearly 2,000 years since Jesus went back up to heaven. We shouldn't think, oh, the Bible has failed. Jesus got it wrong. No. He told us it'd be a long time. That's not not a surprise at all. But then the next thing we see is how the the bridesmaids fell asleep. Uh, It says... In verse um, 5, as the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and slept. Even the wise virgins, who were anticipating that the master might take a long time and, and had a plentiful supply of oil, even they fell asleep. And there is a warning for us here because we are in, in tell, told lots and lots of times in the scriptures that we need to be awake spiritually. Look back again to verse 42. He says, therefore stay awake for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. Uh, Romans 13 verse eleven says there besides this you do you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake from your sleep um, one Corinthians fifteen verse thirty four wake up from your drunken stupor as is right and do not go on sinning one Thessalonians five verse five for you are the children of light and not and children of the day we are not of the night or of the darkness so then let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. Revelation 3 verse 2, wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die. We see here many exhortations in the scripture that we should be awake. We should not follow the the, 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 the pattern of, of these bridesmaids here, these these virgins. Uh, we need to be awake. We need to be alert spiritually. Now, of course, it's not saying You shouldn't have physical sleep. Of course, we know that physical sleep is needed while we're living in this world. And the Psalms say the Lord gives sleep to his beloved. But we need to stay awake spiritually. We need to realize we are in a battle. The devil will try to make us doze off. He'll try to make us think that there's no real issues going on. We can try to make us take life easy, not really fight against sin, not really... Prayer, not really pray, not really read our Bibles, not bother to come to meetings of the church. Just coast along, take life easy, go into a little bit of a spiritual stupor. Not worry about temptation too much. Just, just you know, people. We, we get, the devil tries to con us into. Um, Ed used to take us to a, 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 a water palace in, in near Croydon, and one of the attraction this in this in this water palace was the Lazy River. And what you do is you just get into a, an inflatable boat and you lie back in this nice warm water and you just float along. You just go around in a big, big, big sl- And a lot of people think that Christian life is a bit like being in the lazy river. You just float along to heaven. Just have a lovely, easy, relaxing time going to heaven. No! Wake up! we've got work to do we've got prayers to, praying to do we've got evangelism to do we got we want sin to fight against we want the devil to fight against we need to be on our guard and be ready because Jesus is coming back at any moment and we need to be on our guard spiritually well then we see then next thing is how when Jesus comes again he will take many by surprise uh Verse 7. Verse 6, I mean. But at midnight there was a cry. Here is the bridegroom. Come out to meet him. And suddenly, you know, these, these, these women have been slumbering. Suddenly, you know, oh, what's going on? What's, what's the noise? What's the, what's the big fuss? And oh oh, 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 the bridegroom's coming. Jesus is coming. will take many by surprise. And as we've just quoted already from Matthew 24, Second half of Matthew 24, that's the teaching there. On, at many points, Jesus keeps on saying, he's going to come suddenly. He's going to come sudden. He's going to take people by surprise. He'll come at a time when no one knows expecting. He'll come like a thief in the night. And it's not just Jesus who teaches this. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 2 says, For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. 2 Peter 3, verse 10 but the day of the Lord will come like a thief. Revelation sixteen fifteen. Behold, I'm coming like a thief. He's going to come at the time that people are not expecting. That's the whole point about, thing about the, when Jesus talks about people at the time of Noah. What was happening at the time of Noah when the flood came? Well, the answer is that life was totally normal. They were working, going off to work, coming back from work, going to the fields, working in the fields, getting married, living totally normal lives, as far as they were concerned. Life was totally normal. And then suddenly, bang! The floods came and swept them all away. And that's how Jesus, that's how it will be when people when he comes. Everybody was just going about their normal lives, their normal work. And then suddenly he will come and people will will be swept away. Now, next thing. Let's learn from verses 7 to 9 about how the foolish virgins tried to piggyback on the back of the wise virgins. Then all those virgins rose and trimmed their lamps, and the foolish ones said to the wise, give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, since there will not be enough for us and for you, go rather to the dealers and buy for yourselves. You see, the foolish virgins assumed that they could get by using the oil of the wise virgins. Maybe that's why they hadn't bothered to bring any oil with them in the first place. because Well, it doesn't matter because they've got some oil, so if the worst comes the worst, we can use their oil. And that's what many people, that's the, that's the idea that a lot of people have got when it comes to Christianity. They imagine that they can get in on somebody else's ticket. We've got an expression here in English, getting in on someone's coattails. We don't have coattails anymore. You know, people have a long, you know, their morning dress and they'd have like a, the, the, the long, their jackets have a long tail and somebody getting on someone's coattails you're hanging on to the, to the back of somebody but I suppose that the nearest equivalent would be, I don't know, today we talk about tailgating into, into these blocks of flats you know, somebody stands outside waiting for somebody to go in and then you know, somebody comes along with a key and, and they open the door and then they slide in behind the person and um, you know, sometimes you have these notices up, no tailgating Well, there's no tailgating for the kingdom of heaven. You've got to have your own entry pass. You can't get in on somebody else's ticket. You can't share a ticket. You can't share the entry. You can't share the entrance requirement. You've got to have your own experience of God. Your own supply of the Holy Spirit. You see, I I, I met somebody years ago. A lady said, oh, she said, oh, my son is a priest, you know. As if, well, because her son was a priest, she was going to go to heaven. No. Oh, my mum's a wonderful Christian lady. Well, that's great, but you won't get into heaven because you've got a wonderful Christian mum. My dad's a pastor. No. Won't do you any good. Won't get you there. Oh, I've got lots of Christian friends. I'd be to church every week. No. There must be your own supply. That's the point. That, that's, that's where uh, these people, these, these foolish virgins, went wrong. And, and this is where it's so important to make sure that you really know the Lord for yourself. You're, if you're married to a Christian, your Christian spouse cannot get you into heaven. There's lots of blessings from being married to a Christian, and, and probably you're saved from lots of trouble in your life because you've got a godly husband or a godly wife. But he or she will not get you into heaven. You've got to have your own experience of the Lord. Well, now, let's go on then to see what happened to those, the wise virgins. Verse 10. It says, uh, and while they were going to buy, the bridegroom came and those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast and the door was shut. So the wise ones who had that supply of oil the bridegroom came and they were ready to welcome him they went in with him into the feast and they had a wonderful time at that banquet And for those of us who are true Christians, here's this wonderful encouragement that comes out from this story. If you are a true Christian, if you do have the Holy Spirit, and you are ready and you're waiting for the Lord Jesus to come, your sins have been washed away, well, Jesus will welcome you into his wedding banquet. And you will have a wonderful time. And uh, many places talk about, in the scriptures talk about, about, about the, the world's to life to come is like this marvellous party this marvellous banquet no more crying no more illness no more pain no quarrels no misunderstandings perfect fellowship no tiredness and weariness in the presence of the Lord, enjoying him and enjoying his people and enjoying the new creation forever and ever, without it ever getting boring or wearisome or or dull. An inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade. A wonderful day, waiting for those who belong to him. But, The next thing is, those who were not the Lord's, they got shut out. Let's read from the end of verse 10 on into verse 11 now. And the door was shut. Afterward, the virgins came also saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered, truly, I say to you, I do not know you. You see, these virgins had left it too late to go and get their oil. The shops were shut in the middle of the night. Presumably they must have come back empty-handed. But they still tried to get it open for us. Too late. The door shut. I don't know you. And this is the tragedy that there are lots and lots of people who think, well... I'll worry about that problem when I come to it. I've, I cannot remember how many people I've been, when I've been talking to about the Lord, I say to them, what's going to happen to you when, they die, when you die? They say to me, ah, oh, don't worry, son. I'll face that problem when I come to it. Too late. Once you're dead, it's too late. Or once Jesus has come back again, it's too late. The only opportunity to be saved is now. At the moment, the door to heaven is wide open. At the moment, you can come in. At the moment, if you come to Jesus and say, Jesus, please, will you save me? I'm a sinner. I deserve hell. Please give me eternal life. He will welcome you with open arms and He will embrace you and draw you to Himself. But if you put it off and wait until He's already come, or wait until you've already died, door will be shut. There'll be no opportunity for salvation. And on the contrary, Jesus will say to you on that day, I do not know you. Now this, by the way, just shows us that the problem with the foolish virgins is not that they were backslidden. Sometimes some Christians, I think, get a bit confused here. They think that that, um, this is talking about somebody who doesn't maintain his Christian life, or somebody who who was was saved and then got lost, or got, was saved and then, and then um, because he says, I do not know you. And in fact, the a par- parallel passage in Matthew 7, um, Jesus says to people who who claim, he says, to, I'll read that to you, it says, Matthew 7, 21, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day many will say to me, Lord, Lord, if you not prophesy in your name, cast out demons in your name, and do many mighty miracles in your name, then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. These foolish virgins, it's not that they, they were once saved and then they lost their salvation, or they were once saved and they, they didn't keep up. Their Christian life. No, they were never saved. That's the problem. The Lord didn't know them, and that's the problem with people who, who, um, who don't have the Holy Spirit. It's not that they they once were saved and then fell back. No, they were never saved. Some people might make a pretense of being Christian, but n- never be truly saved. And so we see from this there are no second chances. There's no opportunity to be saved again or no, no, no chance to be saved after death. If you're going to be saved, you need to be saved in this life. And that means you need to be saved today because you don't know if you will have a tomorrow. You don't know if the Lord might come back tonight. You don't know if you might drop down dead today. And so the only thing for you to do is to come to Christ now. And then we come then to the final um, words of Jesus, verse 13. Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor hour. We who are, this is addressed to his disciples, we need to watch we need to be ready. We need to, even if you're saved, you're not, not going to lose your salvation if you're saved. But we need to be ready for the Lord. We need to be work, alert, serving Him, and living as we should. Well, may the Lord bless His word to us. Uh, shall we um, just have a, a moment of prayer first of all? Oh, Lord God, we do thank you so much for your grace to us. And we thank you for this passage. And we do pray that you will please write this passage upon our hearts, write upon our hearts the lessons you want us to learn from this story that Jesus told. We pray that if there are any among us here who, at this point in time, do not have the Holy Spirit, have not been born again, we pray that you'll move them to come to you to receive your salvation and to receive the Holy Spirit. And Lord, we pray that those of us who do belong to you, we pray you'll help us to be alert and to uh, live in the eager expectation of Jesus' imminent return. We pray these things through our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. Amen.